Welcome to the St Albans podcast, bringing you news, views and reviews for the city and district of St Albans. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans podcast with me, Danny Smith. And uh, on the show this time round, we have our very own literary correspondent, Claire Hobber, with us. Hello, Claire. Hello. Hi. So we are looking at um, books, uh, books about Christmas, books about wintertime. Uh, is it a bit of both or is it specifically one? It's, uh, I guess it's probably more winter than Christmas, actually. But um, there, there's a mix. There are books that are suitable for this very wintry time of year. Is this? I, I don't want to get all pedantic on this, and I realise that it, perhaps being pedantic is my my sort of like middle name. But um, uh, it, although it's actually Graham, which is very pedantic of me to point out what it really is. But uh, that, there's a whole thing about Christmas songs, and you know the best selling Christmas songs of all time. And there's always a bit of a raging debate as to which ones sometimes are left out. And they say, but they're not Christmas songs because they they're more specific to the winter time than Christmas time, hmm. and. So anyway, I started going down that avenue and I've pulled myself back a little bit. Yeah, pull yourself back, Danny, because <laughs> only one of these is specifically Christmas. So another one is set at Christmas time. And it has actually a, a message that I think is in that it has a message at all. It's one that we could all do to listen to at Christmas. And the, the I first think a, one a, I want to talk reason. is about winter. Okay, I think a good reason for pointing out a winter book as opposed to a Christmas book is if people don't get around to reading it till January or, 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 or even February, they might think, oh, I won't bother if it's a Christmas book. Whereas if it's one about the winter time, you possibly could almost read it in the height of summer if you're too, you know, if you, you're thinking, oh, I can't cope with this heat. And, you know, reading about cold conditions might just make you feel, I don't know. What a great idea. I'll do this. I'll, I'll save these and I'll just bring them back in July. Yeah, in January, do summer reads, you know. And, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Save save your airfare. Just send your mind there out to hot climes. And actually, in all seriousness, because um, I've got very much um, green preoccupations, I think we should do that. I think we should travel more with our minds and less with aeroplanes. Yeah, I think that, that, that sounds uh, good advice. But tell us about your first book choice anyway. So the first book is actually, when we're talking about the difference between a winter and a Christmas book, it is a winter book and it's actually called Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. And it's by Catherine May. So it is um, factual. It's kind of got slightly a self-help dimension, but it's beautifully written, just lovely lyrical prose. And um, it's by Catherine May, who... I guess the word depression isn't mentioned, but I guess she found herself upset. Um, The blurb says, plunged into a time of uncertainty and seclusion, which sounds a little bit like depression, doesn't it? Mm. Um, Due to some sad circumstances in her family. So she wasn't being productive. She was just taking care of herself and retreating a bit. And I guess in today's society, we we would see that in a very negative light. We would see that as something that perhaps we shouldn't allow ourselves time to do. And then that makes you feel worse, doesn't it? So she looked at models from nature, like animals hibernating, like trees losing their leaves over winter and going into a time of rest, like agricultural fields being laid fallow to regenerate so they were more fertile when the crops began to grow again. And looking at those models, she began to apply them to her own life. And she um, came to accept her period of wintering and fallowness. And I guess 
the proof is in the, the pudding because she then did write this book about her time of, of rest and quiet called Wintering. It's a very beautiful book that's won quite a few prizes. So I just bought it today for a friend that I know is going through sort of a sad, quiet time and finding it difficult to appear cheerful and appear positive and so forth. And this book kind of says, no, it's all right. You can have a rest for a bit and you'll be better at the end of it. It's interesting you say that because just as you were describing it, I was thinking this might make a good gift for a friend of mine who's struggling a bit at the minute. Um, it, yeah, it, 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 it's it's great, I think, that, that sometimes you can get books that, that do this. And, and, and I, I like as well, I just saw that this book has been described as her hybrid memoir because I guess it's part self-help, part, high, part uh, memoir. Yeah, part what what actually happened to her and her own experience. Um, mm. So I, I encountered it on Radio 4. They adapted it as their book of the week. And I was spellbound, really, by these beautiful, tranquil essays, you know, that were with the message that it's all right. And I think, I don't know, I think a lot of today, um, I'm in touch with people who are bereaved at the moment. And that kind of Get ignored, gets ignored by modern culture, doesn't it? After about a fortnight, we kind of expect people to snap out of it, you know, and um, I think we but, need to allow time for, for when people are feeling low, whether with a reason or, or or not, you know, and allow people time to heal and regenerate. We had an author as a guest on the podcast uh, a year or two ago uh, called Ian Ridley, who wrote a book called The Breath of Sadness, which was about bereavement. And he also led um, an evening uh, looking at loss and bereavement um, in uh, in his village where he lived, which is I think was in or near Wheat Hampstead. And um, he was a uh, quite quite a sort of a, a prominent figure in the world of sports journalism in his in his sort of working life. And he that evening he had somebody who I think was a former Blue Peter presenter who had lost his wife quite early, and they were both talking about about bereavement, sadness, about living with it and moving on but but this book in particular I remember the breath the breath of sadness it was called and and it was quite an honest look at this sort of thing and how it is often somewhat overlooked mm. um, as, as you mentioned there uh, but going back to Catherine May I'm intrigued to see she also has a podcast uh, which in a way it well the title alone implies that it's it's kind of comes from this book in some way it's called the wintering sessions Yes, and apparently it's in the been... top one percent apparently of podcasts throughout the world. That's higher than us. We're in the top two percent, but she she's just just higher than that. That's really yes. She's obviously a very practiced journalist and uh, and podcaster. I haven't listened to any of these yet. Um, I struggle with the kind of work I do with finding a time in my day to actually listen to podcasts, and I feel. Um, but I feel that's one that I'm going to try to make time for. I guess one of the things that a lot of um, mindfulness people tell you about is that if you go, my, I suppose my one opportunity is I go for a walk every day. And because of mindfulness, I don't actually listen to something in my ear when I'm going for a walk. But maybe I should. Maybe that would be a good one to listen to. Well, I think there can be benefits in both, mm. In, in, mm. in maybe having a, a list of podcasts and maybe a couple of episodes loaded up ready for if you do go for and you feel you want something but equally i think sometimes walking in silence and just you know appreciating what's around you is also quite therapeutic but but these days people listen to podcasts in all sorts of places you know commuting they have them loaded up so they play them in the car they, they, they you know they, they, there's so many different ways that people listen they do it while they're having the dinner where they're cooking you know um this sort of thing um 
but but obviously there's loads and loads of different ways of listening to podcasts and 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 dear listener make sure you do you know it's a very good practice <laughs> anyway excellent advice there excellent yeah. advice yeah um wintering the power f- the power of rest and retreat in difficult times by Catherine may is uh, our first book choice from claire hobber this month Hi, I'm Chris Aikman. Join me, local author Howard Linsky, and St Albans podcast producer Sam Rolfe for the St Albans Film Guide. Each week, one of us will guide you through the new releases at the cinema and on streaming services. We'll also give you our choice of the best films to watch on UK free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. So if you're a film lover, join us for a chat about all things movie-related every week as part of the St Albans podcast. New episodes will be released every Friday morning, for more information, visit sullivanspodcast.com or find us where any good podcasts are found. We're back with our literary correspondent, Claire Hobber. Uh, what's our next book choice, Claire? So the next book is Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan. And it's another very recent book from 2021. And uh, it's not about the Christmas story, but it is set during the weeks leading up to Christmas. And um, funnily enough, so it's about a guy who is a coal merchant in Ireland in the 1980s. And he himself was the son of a single mother. And the single mother worked as a maid in a great house. And the woman who was the owner of that house, instead of turning her maid out, in fact, made her at home and nurtured her and her illegitimate son, our hero, and brought them up. in the town where our hero Bill lives near now, there's um, a convent where they take in unmarried mothers. And nobody knows for certain, but there were rumours that grim things go on there. So it's um, what we know now is that these places, these Catholic homes for unmarried mothers were often abusive. They were Magdalene laundries where um, young girls were worked incredibly hard and the babies were taken away from them willy-nilly. And often, actually, the babies died as well. There are thousands of, of known deaths. So and, both and the sold. young mothers. It, yeah, we've been a lot, really? lot of stories about how the babies were sold to to you know um, uh, put up for adoption for for money, and and the mothers being told that the babies were either adopted or sometimes being told they died when they hadn't. Um, that so, was the, the story of Philomena, that that is a local resident, um, and was made into a film with Judy Dench. Was about how her her baby was taken from her um, for money and she had signed a contract with the convent to say that because they looked after her, that they had the right to sell her baby. And she didn't, Goodness. she could barely read. So she signed this not knowing what it was. And apparently that was, that, that was quite common as well. Um, I saw that film. I didn't pick up the bit about the, 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 you know, the actual commercial element to it. Gosh, um yeah so but imagine imagine the years when it's just so at the point where this is set these are just vague rumors nobody quite knows what's going on behind those walls uh but bill as he delivers coal to the convent in the coal house in the middle of winter in freezing conditions he finds um a young barefoot girl early teens uh in a very poor way and she's clearly been locked in there as a punishment the nuns do everything to demonstrate to him that um she accidentally locked herself in um or that it was some sort of error of that kind and that there was no problem they should demonstrate 
to him, her dressed in warm clothes and um, eating some soup so that he's le- he can, if he wants to, go away and think, well, everything's all right then. And he does. He does choose to do that, not least because he has five daughters. This is a, a Catholic environment. He's got five daughters and uh, they all need schooling from another branch of the same nuns. That's the local girls' school. Nobody, none of the girls locally do any good unless they go to this nuns' girls' school. If he says anything against the nuns who are running the home for the unmarried mothers, then it could rebound on his own daughters. So he's got a very clear moral choice to make. He's very suspicious now of the nuns. Um, But if he does anything, his own daughters will suffer. But then I think he thinks back to the old lady who, instead of throwing his mother out, took good care of her and made sure that he was well-raised and now he's a successful um, businessman with a happy home. And um, he has to make, I think, what is clearly a moral choice. It's funny, I was thinking the church comes out very badly in this book, but actually the moral choice he makes is spot on. You know, it's got Christian ideas within it. You know, as a Christian, I see it as a, as a, as a sort of as a Christian moral choice, if you like. Um, knowing it in real life, the 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 real Philomena that of which the story we were talking about earlier uh, is related to, um, she holds no hatred in her heart at all for the church in what happened to her she still is a a devout catholic goes to church every week uh but it was that it was more about she saw it that it was more about the corruption i guess of of one or two people within it um and and i think that sometimes it's a that's a very thin distinction and, and sometimes we see books and films that that cover these sorts of topics and they make out that the whole church is evil in doing this when in fact it's it's the corruption of those within it that that is is the problem um because i know that as a christian as well that sometimes people say to me well how can you defend that and you think you can't defend it you know we we should be the first to condemn it but it isn't the church that's doing that it's some people acting in the name of the church yeah and i think I think what would be interesting, perhaps when some time has passed, people maybe people are already starting to do this, but is to explore what kind of pressures those nuns were under that drove them to behave like this. Because to me, it's the acts of, of people who are perhaps twisted and have perhaps suffered cruelty and neglect themselves to behave like that. Yeah, quite possibly. Now, I do have another bone to pick with with this this book, um, which is that I see it's classed as historical fiction, but I'm somewhat troubled by a book that is classed as historical fiction, that the period of history in which it was set is while I'm alive, because that would make me sound old. And obviously, I'm not old. So it clearly can't be historical fiction then, Danny. It shouldn't be, should it? But I, I guess it's 85 is what? That's 40 years ago, isn't it? So um or, or nearly 40 years ago so so i i i guess maybe it's uh um may, maybe it is now but it just doesn't feel right i think some de- definitions of historical fiction are that if it's 60 years ago or more i think that's the one i've commonly heard right. and it's historical fiction so by that definition it still it's isn't yeah come okay. back We'll talk about this again when we're both a lot older and, and sort of even more <laughs> indignant, and then it probably will be yeah, historical well, fiction. 
I tell yeah. the other thing about the book actually that that may not come across is that it is ideal for book clubs, not just because there's a lot to discuss in this moral choice that Bill the hero has to make, but also it's only just over a hundred pages long. So if you've ever been in a book club meeting and people are going, okay, um, it's a really busy month. Uh, we've got Christmas to get ready. We need a short book. Uh, this is a good one because not only is it an ace book, but it's lovely and beautifully written and short. <laughs> yes, I notice it's 118 pages and it's listed it on, on, on my screen here as a novella. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so that that's, yeah, that's about a quarter of the size of of, of the average kind of fiction book of, of this sort of genre. Um, so yeah, so that would be a, quite a quite a short read, which which I'm sure would appeal to some, um, me included. But uh, okay, thank you for that, Claire. That's uh, small things like these by Claire Keegan, uh, which is um, which came out in 2021, I believe, and, and so quite a quite a new book. Uh, do stay tuned. We don't stay tuned. That's not our podcast work, but. Stay, don't go anywhere because we'll be right back in a minute looking at Claire's final book choice. Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman inviting you to listen to my podcast One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St. Albans podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's one to one with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know. You could be my next guest. Our final book choice from uh, our literary correspondent, Claire Hobber, is one that everyone would have heard of, but I wonder how many people might have read it. Uh, But Claire, tell us more. So it's A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And it's unlike our last two very recent books. It's from 1843. (laughs) And uh, it just has set so many of the visuals of Christmas. And then when you come into the new year, that whole idea of assessing the way, you know, last year went and making a New Year's resolution, uh, that's really what happens to Ebenezer Scrooge, the protagonist in the book, that he has a chance that perhaps we could all benefit from. In the nights leading up to Christmas, he's visited by the ghost of Christmas past, who shows him how he's been leading his life and how that's impacted people like his nephew, Bob Cratchit, and uh, his family, including his little disabled son, Tiny Tim, and uh, the ghost of Christmas present where where Ebenezer isn't really uh, welcome at at his relative's house. And then the ghost of the Christmas future. And by this time, if Ebenezer goes on the way he's going, then it's possible that in a few years' time, uh, his uh, his little relative, Tiny Tim, won't even still be alive. And nobody will mourn him when he dies. His gravestone will go unmourned. People will barely turn up to his funeral. So um, he's got a clear view of his trajectory and chooses to mend 
his ways. I think a spoiler alert. I think probably we know that, don't we? That um, it's a happy ending. And then we get the the roast goose and the Christmas tree and all the all the Christmas visuals that we still uh, cling to today to make a traditional Christmas. So it really is a, a fabulous book. Yeah, and, and it's going to be one that, that a lot of people will be incredibly familiar with the story, would have seen countless adaptations, whether it be um, Alistair Sim or Michael Caine or Patrick Stewart or, or you know, all these other people, Bill Murray, you know, Kermit the Frog. So many people have have, have, have been a part of the story of A Christmas Carol. Uh, but uh, but it, 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 it is worth, I think, going back to the original source because n- maybe not many people have read it. You know, I certainly haven't. Yeah, I've seen countless adaptations of the story. Do you know, I really can't remember whether I actually have, I've certainly read extracts. I don't know whether I've ever read the whole thing or whether I've just seen a million adaptations. And apparently there is another one this year, whether it's um, going to be available over Christmas. I guess it is because the release date is November 2022. And it sounds if it stars Luke Evans, Olivia Coleman, Jesse Buckley, and Harry Huffman, so quite quite an impressive cast there. So, yeah. and probably a reasonably straight version, I would say, from the people who are in it, who've got sort of uh, they've got form, haven't they, as good dramatic actors and actresses. Okay, yeah, I did see Patrick Stewart do it a few years ago, and um, he apparently won greater claim on Broadway for doing a one man version of A Christmas Carol on stage back in the nineties. Uh, while he was doing Star Trek, he he did this one man adaptation, and then um, they 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 filmed it, although with other with other actors as well, uh, and uh, and he was particularly good. But uh, but also a lot of people would have a lot of affection for Michael Caine in the Muppets Christmas Carol, which which told the story quite quite beautifully. And then if if you ever remember the modern day adaptation Scrooged with um, Bill Murray, where uh, Ebenezer Scrooge is now a TV executive, uh, and and. Yeah, that was, you know, incredibly funny and quite sort of family friendly. Um, My favourite is the one you mentioned, Michael Caine in The Muppets Christmas Carol. I thought it was actually really moving. Who would have thought that The Muppets could reach such such depths of emotion but I thought it was oh, really good. Oh I, I don't underestimate Kermit and the gang you know they 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 do that I remember watching the Muppet movie and, and I nearly cried at one bit in that you know it was so sad and Kermit was looking all sort of like poignant and forlorn and yeah it's uh the Muppets you know very great wholesome family entertainment and uh, I'm sure I'm just I, thinking what, what what a gift it would be I don't know to be I don't know. How would I respond if I was shown the error of my ways? I mean, sometimes a good friend will tell you what just exactly what you're doing wrong, won't they? But yeah. to actually have it all pointed out to you, would I don't know, would I be as magnanimous as Scrooge and actually mend my ways? Or would I just go, well, clearly there's been a misunderstanding here and carry on the same way that I'm going? I don't but, know. But, but don't, it's not just about how magnanimous Scrooge was because Scrooge didn't think he could fix his ways and he was begging for his life, wasn't he? And he thought he didn't realise that he was being given another chance. And so he was so desperate by the end that when he did realise that he had another chance, he then, you know, so it... it, it he didn't think he was being given. He thought that was it, didn't he? He thought that was the end. They were taking him off, and that and that was that. It was, you know, but, but so it was that I get think that maybe made him uh, the the tra- caused the transformation. But you're um, absolutely right, and I guess as well when you react in the fear of what's just happened to you, you you start off, you know, doing everything as you should, 
but it will probably as that the terror of that experience relinquish you know sort of relinquished into the background probably it'll have got harder and harder he probably needs a self-help book doesn't he <laughs> he probably get it done with the first book you suggested yeah um, to sort of maintain his his bonhomie for the rest of his life how does yeah. he do it and it's interesting as well when you when you start to look into Dickens's life and how Dickens was just not not just a great uh, novelist of the Victorian era, but but was somebody uh, who who really had a social conscience as well, and and was was a great social critic at the time. had a, had a, had a huge amount of um, uh, sort of affinity with 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 people who were struggling in those times, you know, and 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 trying to hi- highlight the plight of the poor through his storytelling. And and you know the the and and how apparently his some of a Christmas Carol was based on some of his own ch- humiliating experiences of childhood. Apparently, yes, I think he had a very mixed upbringing. I think um, including quite a long time in a boot blacking factory. I believe he worked, didn't he? He was um, certainly he was a stranger to prosperity as a child, and of course, no social security if your family fell on hard times you had to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And a lot of people just didn't. A lot of people weren't, um, it's not all about hard work. A lot of people just didn't get the breaks, you know, and, mm. uh, and, and you know, will have died young. So, yeah, he was, I think one of the really radical things he did, and he was involved in charitable work, but he also just gave a voice to people that you probably would have passed by and ignored, like Joe the street sweeper, the crossing sweeper in Bleak House, who was, lowest of the low a little lad you know and that was uh, collecting pennies for probably sweeping horse poo out of the place where people wanted to cross the road yeah um and he actually treated them as human beings and, and sort of showed them in a positive light yeah and uh, yeah and he, he's shining a light on what was going on at the time and and uh, you know it's it, it, it well it just shows how he used his skill to to try to help others you know he he wrote about these situations and and was able to write in a way that that appealed to the masses. Uh, so, uh, a Christmas Carol is the choice, uh, the final choice for the year uh, from Claire Hobber, uh, and another short one as well, one hundred and twelve pages. This one, uh, whether it's whether it reads as a short story, a shorter sort of novel, I, I don't know. Um, I've read some Sherlock Holmes um, stories that were quite short, but they took me just as long to read as a, a full blown novel because it was language that I wasn't used to reading. Um, so I don't know if that applies with Dickens. It's a similar era, so I guess it might do. It probably does. Yeah, it's even earlier, isn't it, than Sherlock Holmes? And I, I noticed that um, with school children that I work with as well, that a lot of this stuff isn't really accessible to them because the language is so unfamiliar. Um, and the question is whether they'll read enough of it. If you read enough of it, then it becomes the obstacles vanish, a bit like listening to a lot of Shakespeare. You suddenly stop hearing that it's a bit weird and just start hearing what they're saying, you know. So yeah. it's um so maybe it is good that it's short because you have got time to just kind of take your time over it and uh, work out what's going on. Okay. A controversial question here, Claire, but where do you stand on on literary adaptations? Because there are plenty of retellings of this story that are available you know you could you could read a more modern adaptation of it but is that are you then reading a different book yeah yes you are and it's a good thing i you know i think i think anything that um examines things in a different light or just changes one thing for me that's that's a great thing you know and um we're living in an era of a lot of 
feminist retelling of old Greek and Latin myths, uh, which I think is amazing to see things from the point of view of the women and to redress um, people who weren't given a voice or who were treated as an object and so forth. I think it's it's really, really interesting. And then you go on, and uh, the, particularly with classics, so the Dickens has been around for 150 years, but um, there are other stories out there who've been around for 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 plus years. And then actually there's a whole, there's a whole discipline of like seeing how they change over the years because it reflects back the society that's retelling them. So um, yeah. it's, a, it's a long tradition to readapt things and retell them. And it's, it, and each way that you do it tells, tells something about your own age and your own priorities. If if I were Dickens and I had written a story that was going to last and survive in, in, in sort of the public domain for hundreds and hundreds of years, I would be more concerned that the story survived and that people knew I'd written it than if my sentence structure had um, and my, my use of grammar had, had made it through. I think I'd be I, I would be much more thrilled that my story was still being told. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, it doesn't always work with things where... The language, and I think the language is important in Dickens and so forth. Um, but I think in that case, the story that and we've already been talking about it today and how we would react and just think about putting yourself in that situation, that particular premise and story is really, really powerful. And it may outlast all of his other stories. It may be the one that people still have heard of, you know, in another hundred years. Well, yeah, I mean, I suspect maybe Oliver Twist would give it a run for its money, but but some of his other works possibly have already been kind of forgotten. Where, but but there are there are what half a dozen or so stories of his that I guess if you ask people to name them, they could probably people on the you know the average Joe on the street could probably name you know at least three or four Dickens stories. Yeah, my favourite is Great Expectations. I think that's kind of the most complete story yeah. with with sort of balance and twists and different viewpoints i like that because i think uh, sometimes sometimes the language actually in dickens is better than the story because he was publishing many of them as, as weekly or monthly serials and uh, so he's trying to manage a complicated plot if he decides he's made a mistake or needs to rewrite something he can't go back because it already was published last month so you do get loose ends in dickens and slightly <laughs> contradictory elements with the plot yeah Okay, Claire, thank you very much for bringing these book choices to us this month and indeed for all of the choices you have brought for this year. And uh, we look forward to your uh, offerings in 2023. So, uh, you know, have a you and the family have a lovely uh, Christmas and a and a peaceful new year. And uh, we'll see you back for more of the same next month. Very happy Christmas to you too, Danny. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, thanks for listening to this edition of the St. Albans podcast. Uh, the film guide with uh, Max Hartington will be out uh, this week on Friday. And then at the weekend, we've got the Dagnall Street Baptist Church virtual service with Simon Carver. And then Monday, uh, another um, show from Elspeth Jackman. Find out more about the St. Albans podcast on our website, stalbanspodcast.com, where you can find all the details of how to subscribe to our shows. And uh, also find us over on the social media channels we are or platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are at St. Albans Podcast. Next week on the show, Alan Bellinger, our health correspondent, will be with us. In the meantime, take care. Thanks for listening to this edition of the St. Albans Podcast with Danny Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or a podcast platform of your choice. This will help us reach more listeners. 
Join us, the St. Albans Podcast, next Wednesday for more news, views and reviews. In the meantime, commit no nuisance. Produced by Samantha Rolfe. Logo and artwork by David Ellis. This is an independent production in association with the Hearts Advertiser. If you would like to become a community partner or a sponsor of the podcast, please visit stalbanspodcast.com for more details.